And welcome to episode 8 of Cass County Conversations. I'm Randy Smith along with Kate Stowe. And uh, Kate, uh, you got something very interesting to talk about today that people, I knew about it, or I had heard a rumor about it, and I'm like, nah, that can't be true, but apparently it is true. Yes. And uh, something was invented in Atlanta that people... They hate. they cuss cuss them all yeah, the time. Yeah, next time next, next time you go over one, you're gonna think of Atlanta, Texas. Yes, it is the speed bump. The speed bump. The speed bump. Do you know what year? Nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenty-seven. A patent was issued. Yes. To Thomas uh, Tomps, not Thomas Tomps. Robbins Ritchie of Atlanta. Tops? Tomps. T-H-O-M-P-S. Oh, okay. Tomps. Like Thompson without the un. Okay. Tomps. And if you don't know, Thomas Ritchie was the grandfather of Stuart Smith here in town and the late Stephen Smith. So Stuart's kind of responsible for speed bumps. Um, one could say that Stuart is a speed bump. Could be, yeah. <laughs> I'll go along with that. He's going to hate me. Wow. Oh, well. I've said worse. Um, no, uh, Stewart's grandfather had a patent in 1927. And I found this story. It appeared in the Gazette in a section called Cass County Life. It was written by Neil Abels. Everybody knows Neil. He... Um, when I was growing up, Neil worked at the Citizens Journal with my mom, Jean Stowe. And when I was growing up, there was a group of men that my mom worked with, and I called them all uncle. I had Uncle Bill Turner, Uncle Bob Valenta, and Uncle Neil Abels. And there was an Uncle Vic Parker. I had aunts. I had uncles, Aunt Pansy, Aunt Beth, Aunt Yvonne Vestal. All these people helped shape and form me and, and uh, taught me about journalism. So I have great respect for Neil Abels. So I'm going to read a story he wrote. And I don't know what year this was written. But it starts off, and this is how it goes. Is Atlanta or an Atlantan responsible for the speed bumps of the world? It's entirely possible. Proof is in the form of a 1927 patent granted and issued to Tomps Robbins Ritchie of Atlanta. His invented object is a speed bump to be installed before a railroad crossing. It appears very much like the street crossing ones of today. It would indeed slow traffic down. And that is what Tomps Ritchie, an outstanding citizen who later became president of First National Bank, desired most. He made his design because a railroad crossing accident had killed one of his best friends. This unusual bit of history for Atlanta begins with Dr. R.L. Long. On March 22nd of 1920, Long and his family were returning home at night following church service. Um, At the crossing on Hiram Street, the car was struck by a freight train. Long died at the scene, and his wife, Catherine Hodge Long, died later in the hospital. The three children were severely injured. They were Charles, 14, Louis, 8, and Hazel, 3. Long, 
43, was a native of Cass County who had practiced 15 years. The event was devastating to the county. That led Ritchie, an energetic and multi-talented individual, to come up with his invention. My invention, Ritchie starts out in his 1925 application file, relates to a highway safety design especially adapted to prevent accidents at railway crossings. It will ensure careful driving at all railroad crossings. The speed bump Ritchie design would indeed slow traffic down, even though in 1925 one imagines there weren't that many horseless carriages on the road. Perhaps cars and drivers were less safety conscious or experienced. Roads were more haphazard and buggies went everywhere, including across field and stream. To this point, Ritchie's application has a telling sentence. If the driver is absent-minded, Ritchie wrote, as is frequently the case, as he passes over the protruding element or mass, the vehicle will be jolted and the vibrations will be transmitted to the driver, notifying and reminding him that it is necessary to slow down. It seems Ritchie's speed bump wasn't the very first in theory. His was best, he said, in simplicity and durability, and in his application he repeats that often. They have been proposed, but none of them have, it appears, come into practical or successful use. The main reason for the failure of the safety devices which had been proposed is their complexity and lack of durability. He frequently called his bump a log. It is to be shaped, he said, as half a cylinder and with receding shoulders. The difference for his log was that it was to have a concrete base and be capped with steel, and that steel would incorporate vanadium, a well-known strengthening steel. So his was very different than the others that had been proposed. Right. All we know is that he proposed it and he received a patent, and I don't know if it was followed up, if it was used worldwide or globally. Yeah. But there you have it, the so, speed bump. So we don't know if the speed bumps that are used today in shopping centers or wherever. Well, I actually um, did some research and looked this up. And the speed bumps of today were invented in the Northeast by a woman. And they do not mention Tom's Ritchie. So maybe his was used in the beginning. Yeah. And a newer one came along, a better one for the times, for the vehicles. Because I'm pretty sure cars have changed a lot since 1927. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they have. And I think his, and he alludes to the fact that. It, it can be used for buggies, horses and buggies, yeah. too. So, there you go. Okay. But I will post a picture of the patent on our Facebook page. You want to know um, anything else about Richie? Because I've got a... Tell us, uh, I mean, he's... So, he would, he would be... If he's Stuart and Stephen's grandpa... Uh-huh. So, their mother's dad right he okay the owner of atlanta's first 
automobile dealership. The very first was Richie. Richie. Richie Ford dealership. The owner of Atlanta's first automobile dealership was born the same year as Atlanta, 1872, in South Carolina to Joseph M. and Sarah Quarles Ritchie. Ritchie married Maddie Lanier. Does that name sound familiar? She's got to build him. Got to build a Maddie Lanier Ritchie Center is named after Ritchie's wife, Maddie Lanier. They married, she was also born in 1872. They married July 12, 1904. Maddie was the daughter of William David and Paulina Lemon Lanier of Cass County. The couple had three children, Lanier, Verdi, and Moselle. Moselle being Stuart and Stephen's mother. Okay. No, 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 no. no. no? Grandmother. Grandmother? Grandmother. Shirley's, Shirley's the mother. Shirley's the mother. Yeah. Okay. Moselle's the grandmother. Ah. Uh, as a young boy, Richie was a mule, ta- mule train leader dragging tree trunks to a sawmill. Later, he became a president of First National Bank of Atlanta and bought several of those sawmills. The story is told that Tom arrived in Texas at the age of 14 from South Carolina with only five cents in his pocket. He then discovered the train had lost his trunk. He worked at local sawmills and became a chief engineer for a local lumber company where he met Maddie, who was the bookkeeper. In 1915, he opened the Ritchie Motor Company, a Ford dealership, and in 1922 became president of First National Bank. He served one term as mayor of Atlanta from 1937 to 1939. His home on Louise Street was kept in the family until last year when David and Kristen Thompson bought it and are currently remodeling it. Richie's daughter, Moselle, grew up, and apparently she is not the one who married Larry Smith. But the Maddie Lanier Ritchie Center at the City Park off Holly Street is named for Richie's wife. Very cool. Is that not cool? You know, we had so many interesting people. You know where Richie's office was? It was upstairs over Kennedy's Western Wear on Main okay. Street. Which is that? Well, that is uh, Camelot. That is now Manor. Ted Brabham's Camelot Manor yeah. Antiques. It's neat. You know, there's a story, and I saw this in another story about Richie. Um, his grandson, Stephen Smith, told the story that a revenue man came to see Richie and was... Uh, IRS agent and he was looking at the books and he told him um, anybody who makes this much money has got to be a crook and the story goes that he threw him out the window and he landed on a canopy uh, one story below I remember Stephen telling me, telling me that story I think I remember hearing that story I remember hearing that story that's, that's pretty awesome but um, yeah that, that's pretty cool. You know, there was another guy here in Atlanta who was also a very colorful guy. He was here at the start of Atlanta in 1972, and his name was David Crockett Boone. All right, David Crockett, Crockett Boone. Boone. The first newspaper publisher in Atlanta was one of the most colorful characters to ever live here. Crockett Boone was born March 29, 1846 in Davies County, Kentucky 
to Dr. George Washington and Persis Carnes Boone. In 1851, they moved to Ozark, Arkansas, along with his older brother Squire and sister Persis. Crockett was not only named after Davy Crockett, he was his great-nephew. When Dr. Boone died in 1855, Squire, a prominent Ozark attorney and newspaper publisher, was appointed guardian of Crockett. It was there at the offices of the Southwestern newspaper that young Crockett first got printer's ink in his blood and decided to make a career of it. Now on July 8, 1861, at the age of 15, Crockett enlisted in Captain Stewart's 15th Arkansas Northwest Infantry at Bentonville, Arkansas, along with his brother Squire. He rose to the rank of Assistant Quartermaster Sergeant and fought for the Confederacy at Wilson's Creek, Elkhorn Tavern, where he was wounded, Iuka, Port Gibson, Hatchie Bridge, Champion Hill, and Corinth, and was taken prisoner at Vicksburg. He was paroled on July 8, 1863. After being paroled, he was sent to a prisoner exchange camp near Washington, Arkansas, and afterwards took part in the Camden Expedition of March 23 through May 2, 1864. In his own handwritten account of his Civil War service, he listed on the descriptive list of Robert E. Lee Camp 158 United Confederate Veterans of Fort Worth, Texas, dated May 4, 1907, Sergeant Boone said, After I was exchanged, I took the field again. Mount Elba was our first fight after the exchange, followed by Prairie Deanne, Mark's Mill, Poison Springs, and a number of skirmishes. We disbanded at Marshall, Texas on May 26, 1865. According to his obituary, after the start of the Confederacy had set at Appomattox, Crockett Boone went to Mexico and offered his services to Prince Maximilian. After the Shelby expedition to Mexico on October 16, 1865, he was granted a parole certificate in San Antonio, Texas, by the headquarters of the Military Division of the Gulf. Following his parole, he remained in Texas and became one of the most successful and prominent newspaper editors and publishers of his era. On July 8, 1873, he married Molly Cooley in Marshall, Texas. She died on July 1, 1887 in Greenville, Texas. There were no children from this union and Crockett never remarried. He owned at least a dozen newspapers and was editor of several others. He was associated with newspapers in Dallas, San Angelo, Jefferson, Greenville, Santa Ana, Coleman, Van Horn, Teague, Clarendon, Corsicana, Royce City, Rockwall, Farmersville, Atlanta, Queen City, and Pittsburgh. Crockett moved to Van Horn in late 1910 and was editor of the Van Horn Chronicle. He contracted pneumonia and died there on January 5, 1911. His last request was to be buried in Santa Ana Cemetery. I think and, that's pretty pretty interesting. And somewhere in between there, he started a newspaper. He started the newspapers in Queen City and Atlanta. Two different papers, right? Two different papers. They were sister papers. In fact, there was about five or six different papers. At the same time. I and, and five or six different newspapers um, before the turn of the century. 
I can read a list. Here's a list of all of them. This is not counting the Citizens Journal or Sun. The Cass County Sun was formed in Linden by C.A. Kessler on January 1st, 1876. The Citizens Journal, which first operated in Linden, moved to Atlanta and opened on March 27, 1879 by John Monroe Fletcher. Other newspapers were the Linden Times in 1860 by Henry F. O'Neill, the Alliance Standard, Linden Standard, Linden Alliance Standard, three names over the course of its existence, from 1891 to 1894 by J.E. Irwin, the East Texas Rambler, 1887 by James Williams in Queen City, the Queen City Courier, 1891 by William H. Matthews, Sr., the Atlanta Herald in 1891, the Atlanta News, 1905-1912 by R.A. Green, the Atlanta Democrat in 1896 by Mr. Scott Wright, The Voice of 1949 by Brian Murphy, The Atlanta Union of 1901 by Reverend George, The Blo Bloomberg Times, <laughs> 1911-1912 to by George Fant, The Bloomberg Enterprise, 1917-1920, by Mr. and Miss R.P. West, The Long Handle Shovel of 1936 to 1939 in Linden by William Hornsey, The Atlanta Times 1975 to 2000 by Dr. Jesse and Virginia Brooks. Wow. While there were many other newspapers in the county over the years, only the Sun and the Journal survived through the entire 20th century. In 2020, the papers, both owned by Moser Publishing, merged to become the Cass County Citizens Journal Sun. I had no idea Cass County had that many papers. Uh, newspapers were a really big deal back then. And apparently, apparently everybody... Everybody, everybody read the paper, and everybody was in the paper, and everybody well, had everybody, a paper. Everybody had their own paper. Everybody had their own paper. They had to tell what they were doing. You know, there wasn't TV, there wasn't um, social media back then, there were no computers. Everything was written down, and, you know, that's where they got the term, that's about as good as the paper it was written on. Yeah. So if your paper was good, people people paid heed. They, they read it, and if it was in the paper, it had to be true. So all those papers... They, none of them lasted for... Oh, a, none of them lasted very long, um, except for the, the Citizen's Journal, which was started by, by uh, Fletcher. It started in Linden. And I read an accounting in one of uh, the old papers, gosh, from 1879, the old journal. They said they when they moved to Atlanta, a lot of the businessmen, uh, Crockett Boone had apparently got under their skin. And he was printing things they didn't want him to print. He was basically telling more than they wanted people to know about their business. So they talked to Fletcher and talked him into moving the Citizens Journal to Atlanta. And the accounting says that they put it on a wagon and had eight horses pulling the press. And it took all day long to get from Linden to Atlanta. Now, the press itself had come from Shreveport, and during the Civil War, it had been sunk in the Red River so that the Yankees wouldn't find it and confiscate it. Wow. And they pulled it up out of the river once it was safe and got it over to Linden uh, 
on a uh, ferry on a ship to Jefferson and then to Linden. And then to get it to Atlanta, it took eight horses on a wagon, a reinforced wagon coming from Linden, taking all day long to get to Atlanta. And the first office was on Main Street, about where the plaza is now. Uh, okay. The, uh, the plaza on Main? Plaza on Main. Yeah. It, there was a building there, and it was, it was in that building. That was the first journal office. Okay. I just can't fathom... How how did they get the press out of the Red River? Uh, I'm assuming with a, a boat, a winch. Um, Were winch, winches around back then? I mean, well, I mean, they had to have. That would that, that just kind of blows my mind that how they back then. I mean, today that would be a tough job. I would think. I'm thinking a lot of men with a lot of ropes. Wow. I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. It's very interesting to me that... And that it still works. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm imagining that they put it in some kind of airtight box. Very much. Otherwise, it would have rusted. You, one would think. I can't imagine it working well Yeah. after being submerged in water. So I'm thinking it was in an airtight box or some, some such. And a bunch of men with ropes pulled it up I'm guessing so in in since in the history of Atlanta really the only only newspapers that survived were Cass, you know, the Citizens Cass Journal, County Sun Cass and County the Citizens Sun. Journal which are Atlanta, now the same and the Atlanta Times the Atlanta, Atlanta Times, Times was, was here for a while um, I think he said what 20 from 75 to 2000 so that was 25 years yeah my yeah. first job was there I worked there for a very short time for Virginia. Yeah, I was in, in the eighties. I was a high school reporter my senior year. <laughs> I, I learned real quick journalism does not pay. I exactly, exactly. I was in journalism for a very long time and got out of journalism because it does not pay. And when you have a child, I worked for the Gazette in the late eighties, and I worked for several newspapers in the eighties because I thought that's what I was going to be when I grew up. But I had a small child, and it's impossible to listen to a police scanner and get up and go in the middle of the night when you have a child. Yes. And it, it, at the time, that's that's what being a newspaper reporter was all about. You had to be there when the news happened, and everybody had to take their turn. And it, it was just impossible to do with the child, so I... I got out of journalism and went into the business sector and did all kinds of stuff. But now, now I'm back. I'm back now I'm back to doing what I love doing. It's in my blood. Yeah. It once once this is journalism communication is a is a job you've got to love to do. You have to be passionate. You definitely yeah. do, and you have to be nosy. You cannot be scared of people or scared to talk to people. You've got to ask questions. You got to know what to ask, and you know you can't be afraid to make a fool out of yourself. Yeah. I've done it many times. That's one of your talents. <laughs> one of my talents. Yes, talents. I can make a fool out of myself. Like, I definitely can. Pool. But if you can look past that, I do have some redeeming qualities. I can write. Yeah. 
I, I it took me a long time to be able to to come to terms with the fact that that I can write and to be able to say that without feeling like I'm you know being like I'm bragging about it right that's a talent well you know it's a talent and my mom instilled that in me when I was young yeah. If it hadn't been for her, I wouldn't know how to put words together. So, Jean Stowe gets all of she, the. She was, she's a legend around here. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knew Miss Stowe. Oh well, let's let's talk about the Founders Day for a minute. Okay. Okay. Now, um, we're still we still need sponsors. Um, you can go on our Atlanta, Texas History Facebook page, and you can find a sponsor form. Just scroll down till you find it. And um, you can print it out, fill it out, send it in to the Chamber of Commerce office, uh, make your checks out to Atlanta Founders Day. Okay. We need sponsors. We need help. If you want to volunteer, send a message to that Facebook page. We've got lots of places we can put you. And again, Founders Day Fair is coming up in September. Watch the newspaper and watch the Atlanta, Texas History Facebook page for more news about it. Okay. That's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Cass County Conversations. It's been fun. Join us again next week for who knows what. Bye.